This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Navigating Parkinson's disease can be challenging, but we're here to help. Welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation podcast. Tune in as we discuss what you should know today about Parkinson's research, living well with the disease, and the Foundation's mission to speed a cure. Free resources like this podcast are always available at michaeljfox.org. Part amazing human body, part science fiction turned real life. Stem cell therapy is a frequently asked about topic in the Parkinson's community. These special human cells can develop into different cell types, and scientists are exploring how they can develop into Parkinson's therapies. I'm Maggie Cool, Vice President of Research Engagement at the Michael J. Fox Foundation and host of the Parkinson Science POV podcast. This episode is made possible with support from Blue Rock Therapeutics. Thank you. Our founder, Michael J. Fox, has long been an advocate for stem cell research. This is part of his commitment to the aggressive pursuit of all ethical avenues of research toward improved therapies and ultimately cures for Parkinson's disease and other disorders. This is what Michael said during a U.S. Senate committee hearing in 2000, when the Parkinson's research landscape looked very different, with very few of the treatment options that exist today. And at that time, stem cells offered a glimmer of hope. Take a listen. I'm not here solely to represent the benefits of stem cell research for Parkinson's patients. There are many other promising applications, from heart disease to blindness to Alzheimer's to burn victims to cancer to HIV AIDS to stroke to autism to deafness to schizophrenia to diabetes to MS and ALS. I'm confident that the vast majority of you want this research funded and quickly. I see in these cells a chance for medical miracle. Today, that medical miracle is closer to reality as multiple stem cell therapies are in clinical trials for Parkinson's disease. We'll discuss how stem cells may help scientists replace dopamine, the chemical that's lost in Parkinson's disease. One such trial announced positive safety results earlier this summer. And with us today is the principal investigator of that study and our foundation's chief scientific officer. Our CSO, Dr. Brian Fisk, is a frequent uh, panelist with me here on Parkinson's Science POV. And Brian, thanks for joining me again on the mic. Good to be back. And with us today, as I said, is principal investigator of the Blue Rock Therapeutics trial of BRTDA01, which we'll discuss more. Dr. Harini Sarva is also director of the Parkinson's Disease and Movement Disorder Center, associate professor of clinical neurology, and lead clinical trialist for movement disorders at Weill Cornell Medicine in New York. Dr. Sarva, thanks for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. So let's start um, with some basics. What is a stem cell? Where do they come from? Dr. Sarva. Uh, so stem cells are precursor cells. Um, they're from which all other cells are derived. Um, commonly, they can, they're, they're, Produced during uh, embryogenesis when you know, uh, embryos are, are being created. And um, many of their stem cell trials have, the source has been um, embryonic stem cells. What is the, the current use of stem cells for replacing dopamine lost in Parkinson's disease? 
So stem cells have been studied in Parkinson's for since the early 90s um, without a lot of success. Uh, so really right now there isn't anything in in terms of dopamine replacement therapy from a cell-based standpoint um, due to a lot of issues with the prior studies. So this potential next generation studies will offer um, an opportunity for really cell replacement. So Brian, maybe you could build on that. So dopamine is this chemical that is lost and these stem cells offer a way to perhaps replace that. Tell us more about that approach and how it might work for PD. It's a very, I think, compelling idea. You know, when you sort of think again about what we're trying to do, you know, people with Parkinson's, they've lost, you know, it's not the only brain cell system that's lost, but they've lost, you know, uh, these brain cells that produce the, the neurochemical dopamine. Uh, and so the idea that you could replace those cells with, you know, a, a new cells uh, that can produce that dopamine and sort of restore some of that function that the, that the dopamine cells uh, provide in the brain, you know, obviously it's a very compelling idea. In the early days, you know, this idea had been played with a little bit with some uh, tissue transplantation approaches, and those showed some potential benefits, uh, but they weren't really, you know, sort of game-changing yet. They, they, they had some issues, there were some complications, uh, they were just sort of messy to work with. And so, uh, uh, as Dr. Sarva was talking about, uh, when sort of stem cells kind of came on the scene and people started playing around with that, one of the first things they started to do really was to, to try to develop recipes to turn those stem cells into dopamine cells. And that was something that was a very early, uh, uh, you know, bit of work that was, was done and actually was one of the, some of the first funding that the foundation did in those early days uh, was to actually help support some of the, the, that recipe generation to help make those dopamine cells. Uh, and so the idea now is can, you know, rather than using sort of messy tissue approaches, can we use stem cells to develop sort of pure uh, populations of dopamine-producing cells that we can then transplant into the brain with the idea that we can then sort of bring back again some of that dopamine into the brain. And so again, that idea is really compelling uh, because it just offers a way to, to, to help support, again, uh, really help address some of the movement problems in Parkinson's disease um, and, and help restore some of that function. So our bodies made dopamine cells at one point. If you have Parkinson's disease, you may have lost those dopamine cells. Can we find new seeds and turn them into dopamine cells and replace what was lost? So we're really harnessing, like I said at the top, the amazing ability of the body to create itself, to create more of what people with Parkinson's no longer have. And I want to um, go back to something that you said Brian, which is the movement symptoms. So Parkinson's is a very complex disease. It for a very long time was thought to be a dopamine only condition. And we've learned a lot more about a lot of the systems involved in this condition. And so um, Harini, maybe you can tell us more again about what we think the dopamine replacement with stem cells would do for a person's function. So normally when the brain produces dopamine, it's releasing it in a steady rate, at a steady stream. And then once that production is is reduced and, and gone because of the loss of the cells, they're not making enough dopamine for coordinated movement. The way we're treating patients right now is that we're not giving them a steady stream of dopamine. We're kind of giving them dopamine replacement through pills at a uh, timed intervals. So it's almost as if we're, we're 
confusing the brain because it's not used to that kind of interval um, delivery of dopamine. So when you put in stem cells that are precursors or, you know, sort of immature dopamine cells, and they eventually mature and make their connections, they'll be able to produce dopamine at a more physiologic or normal fashion, as opposed to this kind of, you know, start stop fashion that we're giving dopamine to, to our patients. So ideally it's going back to a more natural state for, for patients. I'm sure that resonates with anyone who has experienced motor fluctuations and the wearing off after a, a dose of medication. Brian, were you going to add on? Again, as we sort of think about, you know, what these cells are trying to do, again, they're not, you know, they're not curing you of your Parkinson's disease in the sense that there's still, you know, the disease process may still be continuing kind of in the background. Um, but they really are, again, sort of offering you this additional source of the dopamine uh, in your brain to help, help you know, address some of these movement problems. Um, uh, in some cases, people may still have to take dopamine medication. Uh, they may maybe they can take less of it or, you know, reduce their dosage, dosages, which would be obviously uh, beneficial as well. And in, possibly in some cases, people may be able to go off medication uh, if the dopamine cells are really working well. But, but, you know, I think it's important to sort of keep in mind what, you know, what this will offer to people is, again, just an additional way to really sort of address those motor symptoms, hopefully in a way that would make um, sort of their quality of life better throughout the day without, again, some of these complications and, again, all the pill taking and all the other things that they would have to normally do to control those those movement issues. And we're, we're talking about dopamine replacement with stem cells, but there are different stem cell approaches that are both in testing and you know, currently out there in clinics that are advertising themselves to treat everything from you know, Parkinson's to a long list of, of diseases. And so we want to acknowledge that this conversation is not touching on those alternative uses of, of stem cells or approaches. It is something that the foundation is investigating and testing the, the validity and the efficacy of. Um, but we urge anyone listening who is interested in Parkinson's um, stem cell therapies to speak with their physicians and really look closely at the scientific data behind um, a treatment before adding it to one's treatment plan. And just to piggyback off of what Brian said, I mean, this is sort of a piece of the puzzle, um, because as you said, Maggie, Dopamine is just the tip of the iceberg, and there are a lot of other processes that are happening in the brain and the development of Parkinson's. So if we're able to successfully show that dopamine replacement therapy, cell-based therapy can help, again, we're treating the motor symptoms and one piece of the entire puzzle. And that hopefully that'll be a stepping stone for other cell-based approaches for either other chemicals or other nerve cells. Yeah, and I, I think that's like, for me, like the real important point, you know, we're really looking for... I think a really powerful proof of concept right now in the clinic. And that's why, you know, we're excited to see these approaches, you know, moving into clinical testing and formal testing. Um, because if we could see that signal, you know, we'd be able to really understand the level of benefit these uh, approaches might be able to provide, at least in their current form, um, be able to compare it against existing therapies like, you know, standard 
medication approaches or some of the you know uh, other surgical approaches like deep brain stimulation uh, and really be able to compare how these cell replacement approaches could really help people with parkinson's and what aspects again of their of their movement uh, will be best controlled and so i think just like we saw with deep brain stimulation where once the first you know devices were were approved um, and, you know, and tested, we were able to optimize them further. You know, I could imagine uh, if, if these uh, cell replacement approaches are all show some benefits, we'll see that similar kind of innovation happening. And people will then really start thinking about, you know, you know, additional ways to deliver them or, you know, how to deliver them or, you know, maybe there are additional cell types that could be, you know, delivered in, in, in addition to the dopamine cells. So I think you'd see a lot of um, sort of really interesting innovation happening if we can get these first sort of uh, signals in the, in the clinic. And we are, we are seeing signals, which is a good transition to our, our next sort of segment, which is to share the exciting um, interim, but exciting results from one of the first trials, which Dr. Sarva, you led. So please tell us about it. So it's a phase one study, uh, it was open label. Uh, there were 12 subjects recruited over three centers, uh, Cornell, uh, UC Irvine, uh, Dr. Hinchcliffe is uh, the PI at UC Irvine. And then at uh, Toronto uh, with uh, Dr. Fasano and Dr. Lozano up there. Um, our surgeon here in the US was uh, Dr. Vivian Tabar, who was instrumental in the development of the cells. Um, so far, the safety data looks looks very good, um, and that's led to uh, continuing in, as a, as a phase two study um, in the coming year. And you know, there's there's some preliminary uh, suggestion that you know there's graft survival. Uh, so all really good things and an important stepping stone. Um, and I, you know, I know Blue Rock is, is um, super excited to present the results at uh, MDS this later this month. Uh, so I'm not going to steal too much of their thunder. Um, but again, it, the, the safety data was, was really very promising. And, you know, when you run a high risk clinical trial, um, that's a surgical trial, you know, seeing every patient go through it, go through the one year without really any major adverse events um, is is really reassuring and heartening and um, really gives us more confidence in in moving this forward. Yeah, and that's, it's exciting to, to hear that too. And just knowing, you know, I think for many years, um, there was so much work to try to optimize these types of stem cell approaches and get the recipe right. You know, how do you make the right kind of dopamine neuron? And uh, I remember I used to think about it in the, you know, thinking it along the lines of like, you know, do they quack like ducks? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, do they walk like ducks? And, you know, just making sure that it really was the right type of dopamine cell because you can make cells from stem cells that resemble the kind of cells you want, but sometimes once you actually put them into the brain, they don't necessarily do what you want them to do. And so a lot of really hard work, I think, went into, uh, uh, you know, making sure these were the right kinds of cells that once you put them into the brain, they could start showing hopefully some some meaningful benefits. So it's great to see that that, you know, the initial uh, testing of that is starting to look promising. Absolutely. And we want to express our gratitude to the participants who, as you said it, Dr. Sarvet, this is a high risk trial. It's invasive, which I do want to ask you about. But those people who took that first step and raised their hand and said, I see the benefit, I see the future here, and I'm willing to be part of it. Um, that's absolutely critical to these advances. And so we thank those participants and anyone else in, in the future studies to come. I want to clarify a couple points. You use the words open label, and I just want to define that for our audience. 
Open label essentially means that uh, every participant received uh, therapy, whether it was uh, low dose therapy or, or high dose therapy. There was no randomization. There was no sham procedure done. And they all knew that they were receiving the therapy. Yes. 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 Um, which doesn't mean that necessarily alters the results, but it's always just something to consider in comparison. Um, Absolutely. Right. And you used the word surgeon and we talked about some of the requirements of this treatment. So it is a brain surgery to implant the dopamine cells. Yes. It's a neurosurgical procedure um, under general anesthesia. And the phase two study of Blue Rocks therapy that you are leading is anticipated to begin enrollment in the first half of 2024 as well. Yes. That's what we hope to do. Yes. So this one trial has reported interim results. What does the landscape look of other stem cell therapies in clinical testing or perhaps close to humans? Uh, so there's a group out of uh, Sweden that's also developed uh, dopamine precursor stem cells. Um, and that, in conjunction with Novo Nordisk, will be run, uh, running their own stem cell trial, possibly in the next year as well. Yeah. And then, you know, there's this group in Japan who's who's been working with uh, a different type of stem cell approach uh, that have also been doing some human testing. So there's definitely some some emerging clinical work uh, around these approaches, which is great to see. Great. And if you are interested in learning about any recruiting trial or staying close to these and seeing when and where they're opening, then you can visit our foxtrialfinder.org tool to be matched with studies or to search based on interest and eligibility. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the eligibility and the audience for these therapies. You mentioned, I think it was 12 participants were in your first trial. What stage of Parkinson's um, were those participants and also maybe just generally this dopamine replacement with stem cells, who would be best for this treatment? Yeah, the, the trials in general are looking at patients who've been at least diagnosed for five years, have had, um, are having to take uh, carbidopa, levodopa, and are having motor fluctuations um, without really bothersome dyskinesia. So this is not something for people who are newly diagnosed or medication naive. As Brian, you said, we need something to compare to and we want to have an understanding of the sort of standard trajectory versus something like this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You want to be able to sort of, um, you know, it's a sort of a different world that we live in today than maybe when stem cells first were being looked at, you know, a uh, you know, number of years ago where there are all the, these other options. And so we want to be able to obviously kind of understand, you know, how this approach compares to some of those. And these, these stem cell therapies, these replacement therapies, as we said, we're at the safety stage. And just as a primer on how trials work, you recruit a very small number of participants to see safety first, and then you move toward efficacy in comparison to standard treatment, as you were just discussing. But we do have a lot of other questions to answer, right? Maybe you could sort of just walk us through ones that came to my mind, for example, or how do you know how many dopamine cells made from stem cells to implant? And is this a one-time thing or would you need a sort of a, a new dopamine dose after a decade or so? So the number of cells are, are based off of the animal experiments that are done. Um, and in our phase one study, they looked at two separate doses uh, to see what would be um, safe, essentially. Is it a 
one-time deal or does it need to be repeated later? I don't think we know the answer to that question just yet. Um, but there is some long-term follow-up of patients who've had the original stem cells like 20, 30 years ago, and they've only had it done once. So we're hopefully they will only need to have it once, but that hasn't still been established yet. This is a question that we received from a member of our community. If we can transplant new functioning cells but have not altered the underlying disease, won't the new cells also become damaged? We were talking about how there's a lot going on in Parkinson's. This dopamine loss might actually be a result, the sort of downstream effect of things that go wrong well before then. And so wouldn't the same happen to these newly implanted dopamine cells? Brian, could you answer that? Yeah, it's just a really interesting question because in some of the first original attempts to use tissue transplantation, which were some of the first, you know, attempts to, to try to replace the dopamine cells. Um, you know, when they looked at some of those individuals a number of years later, you know, after they passed away, they actually looked at the transplanted tissue, to, you know, because they obviously the researchers wanted to know if the transplants had survived or not. Um, they did, first of all, they did see the transplants there, so they seemed to have uh, uh, survived. But they actually found some of the Parkinson's pathology in the transplanted tissue, why that was interesting at the time was because it was some of the first really suggestive hints that the Parkinson's pathology, in particular this clumping of this protein called alpha-synuclein, which we've talked about in other podcasts before, might actually be able to spread. And so it might actually spread from the Parkinson's brain into the transplanted tissue. And so there was a lot of discussion. So first of all, that opened a whole new realm of research, which had people um, looking at the spread of alpha-synuclein protein as, you know, a sort of a part of the pathogenesis of Parkinson's. Um, but it also asked the practical question, you know, would that impact the function of that transplanted tissue? And ultimately, you know, would you have to then replace it, like you, like you said uh, uh, later on? Um, they couldn't really answer that. Um, it didn't seem like, you know, the level of pathology would necessarily impact the transplanted tissue. So, uh, uh, you know, at least in, you know, those individuals who had those transplants, the transplants were still there. So it wasn't like the pathology came in and killed the transplants and they didn't, you know, no longer were existing. So right now, I mean, I think it would be, you know, it's a slow process. I mean, that pathology in, normally in people, you know, accumulates over years. So the idea that it would accumulate in a, you know, transplanted piece of tissue that doesn't have that pathology, presumably that would also take many, many years. So my guess, you know, is... Yes, it might happen. Would it have a really functional impact on the on transplanted tissue? Certainly not immediately, is my guess. Um, and it may take many years for it to, uh, you know, reach a point where it would. So, I, you know, I, that would be my initial sort of thought on that. But obviously, we don't have the data on it. And, and Dr. Sarva could certainly probably comment on it further. You know, we, we'd have to we would require long-term data to really see if that was what was the case or not. Yeah, we would have to follow these patients for several years after the um, yeah. you know initial one or two years in order to really see, um, and you know obviously ask their permission for for autopsies in order to yeah. establish if and when and how much is has been impacted by the Parkinson's pathology. And are you involved in other dopamine replacement trials? Maybe you could tell us what else is out there or upcoming. Yeah, so there's uh, two cell-based therapy uh, trials that are going to be starting in the, in the next year um, that we're actually a part of. Um, there's a gene therapy trial that's currently um, 
recruiting as well in several centers around uh, the country. Um, and of course, there's, you know, continued innovation with focused ultrasound um, and as well as deep brain stimulation. But those are not using stem cell approaches. Those are alternative. They're alternatives, yes. If our audience is interested, we just did a full webinar on gene therapy approaches, and we have a wealth of information on our website around some of the other treatments that you discussed, focused ultrasound and deep brain stimulation. Lots to learn for sure, but it sounds, as we said, one trial is moving forward. Um, there are other dopamine replacement approaches in testing. There are other stem cell therapy trials in lab testing, moving closer to human testing as well. And so a lot of potential, a lot of questions still to answer, but uh, I think we said a step, I would call it a giant leap forward with the the findings from this first one. So now um, we're going to go to what I like to call the lightning round, but is really just an excuse to ask you a list of questions assembled um, from my own interests and from members of our community. So I'm going to take us through these. Brian, what are induced pluripotent stem cells and how are they being used for dopamine replacement? Great, great question. So, um, you know, the original stem cells that were discovered and, and, and sort of represent, uh, you know, one source of cells um, are uh, human cells. Uh, they're called embryonic uh, stem cells because they're derived from sort of the earliest, earliest stages of embryogenesis. Um, and that was kind of those were kind of the original stem cell human stem cells that were discovered and, and isolated and, and provided, a, you know, a wealth of information about stem cell biology. Um, a few years later, a group in Japan developed a technique that allowed you to take other non-stem cell tissue. Uh, they initially used skin tissue, uh, but since that time, they've used other types of tissues as well. And using just you know a handful of sort of recipe factors, uh, they were able to coax those cells to become stem cells or stem cell-like cells. And sort of the terminology that was used was uh, they were induced to become stem cells. Uh, so the term induced pluripotent stem cell just means stem cells that were sort of created, you know, sort of induced from these uh, uh, initially non-stem cell, cell sources uh, that were made to then be like stem cells. And so these so-called IPS cells, induced pluripotent stem cells, have become an alternative approach for deriving uh, uh, stem cells that can then be used to develop and generate other types of cells. Uh, we found that IPS cells are particularly good, especially for research purposes. Um, so we can use IPS cells generated from you know people with Parkinson's, for example, and generate various cell types from them and study those in the lab to try to better understand the disease. Um, there are some groups who are trying to develop IPS cell-derived dopamine cells for cell replacement purposes as well. And uh, there's a group in Japan, actually, the you know affiliated with the original group uh, that discovered IPS cells. Uh, there's a group in Japan that's been developing these for therapeutic purposes, including doing some initial clinical trials in Parkinson's. Uh, and then we're also aware of some other uh, uh, groups out there that are exploring the use of these so-called IPS uh, derived um, um, dopamine cell approaches as well for Parkinson's that are sort of moving towards the clinic as well. So we, we're, I think we're going to see a combination of both types of cell sources being used uh, uh, for potential benefits in Parkinson's. 
We don't know if one is better than the other. That's a you know open question. We'll have to see uh, how, how that ultimately plays out in the clinic. Uh, but they sort of represent two different uh, approaches for getting uh, dopamine replacement cells. It wasn't cool enough to turn a stem cell into a dopamine cell. You had to take another cell and then turn that into a stem cell and then make it into a dopamine cell. Very, um, very scientist, you know, just never always asking, <laughs> what if we did this? Can we do that too? <laughs> right, right. Um, Harini, we talked a lot about other systems that play in Parkinson's. And right now, stem cells into dopamine cells is what we're focused on. Could we have a future of stem cells into different other types of cells that are also impacted in PD, perhaps to treat symptoms outside of just the movement issues? Well, that, that's the hope because PD is such a, a multifaceted disease. Um, once we've established that these are not only safe, which is really important, but effective as well, um, that would be a stepping stone to creating cholinergic stem cells. So to um, improve memory in patients with, with Parkinson's or serotonergic uh, cells uh, to treat you know mood disorders or potentially other cells to help with other um, aspects of, of Parkinson's, most of which are, are difficult to treat. And we sort of use like a smorgasbord of, of treatments from you know, other specialties to try to, to, to combat them, but are the most difficult things to, to treat. I think you get a prize for being our first podcast guest or panelist to use the word smorgasbord. So um, thank you for that. <laughs> I'll stick with you. Do you think if someone qualifies for DBS, deep brain stimulation, and has that treatment, especially perhaps earlier on in their disease course, as some are exploring its utility, would they be eligible for stem cell treatment for dopamine replacement if that becomes available? Basically, would one cancel out the other? I don't think they would cancel out the other. I mean, right now the trials are looking at patients who have not had DBS and are essentially good DBS candidates to see if it would basically do what DBS has, has been established to um do over the last 20 plus years. I could certainly envision a place where in time that patients who are having some benefit from DBS but may not be from their oral medications, either to GI issues or um, other medication side effects, can potentially have benefit from cell-based therapy. But again, it's also having two brain surgeries. And as patients are getting older, how what is their sort of surgical risk? So all of those things have to be considered, um, as well as what do they look like in terms of their cognition and overall functionality. But I don't think that they would, you know, cancel out each other. In fact, that there's definitely a complementary role. We would just have to look at each patient individually. Yeah, and I think that's important to, again, just to kind of help listeners understand the distinction between some of these approaches. Again, deep brain stimulation really is about you know, implanting um, these electrodes, you know, into parts of the brain impacted by Parkinson's with the idea of sort of helping to modulate the neural activity in those regions and hopefully to kind of correct them a little bit so that you can get, you know, some, some good movement control. Um, they're not replacing dopamine. It's not like the deep brain stimulation is giving you back some kind of dopamine signal that is lacking versus the, you know, stem cells, cell replacement approaches really is about trying to deliver uh, that dopamine back to you. So I could imagine, you know, outside of, again, like you said, you know, having double brain surgery uh, approaches um, that the two could, I agree, it could be complementary. So I think, you know, that'd be interesting, obviously, if we see uh, ultimate approval of these approaches, I could imagine you're going to see uh, attempts to try to combine the two and see if you get even op more optimal 
you know, uh, sort of the uh, benefits and things like that. And just to clarify, um, FUS, I think you shared, which is focused ultrasound, which is a newer therapy that mimics um, what deep brain stimulation does, but is permanent and is an ablation um, surgical, but non-invasive approach. So again, more information on those different types of um, approaches and where they are now on our website at michaeljfox.org. Brian, some people may have heard of a breakthrough in dopamine replacement, very early stage, very discovery stage, where one type of cell called an astrocyte can become a dopamine cell in the body. Could you outline for us that finding and the current state of that research? Yeah. So this is, you know, I would say really interesting concept. And people have been looking at this idea for for a while, but uh, in the last couple of years, there's been some, at least some research progress to suggest it might be feasible. Uh, and I would, again, I would say this is still early days. Uh, no one's ready to try this in humans yet. Is this idea, can you kind of using, again, a, a recipe of factors, uh, can you go in directly into the brain and coax cells that are existing in the brain that aren't dopamine cells uh, to become dopamine cells. And there's a particular type of cell, a cell type in the brain called an astrocyte. Uh, and there's some biological rationale for uh, astrocytes and neurons having kind of a, a, um, a developmental relationship uh, that might uh, make it easy to convert an astrocyte into a neuron. Um, and so researchers have looked at this and at least in some model systems in the lab, shown that you can coax these astrocytes to become dopamine neurons uh, and suggesting that you might actually feasibly be able to do that. Uh, now, there's a lot of work still to do, and there's some ongoing work um, that we're supporting in, in partnership with some other groups to try to further explore this idea and see if it's, you know, if it's, you know, we can consistently do this and safely do it. Uh, it's a lot of a lot of big open questions, of course. But this idea, again, is could you kind of, you know, uh, trick the brain into kind of repairing itself, I think would be really powerful. And uh, as I think more knowledge is built on this idea, you could imagine then a future where maybe with a, a cocktail of factors, you could actually um, uh, help the brain repair and replace the cells that were lost in diseases like Parkinson's. So I think that's, you know, it's I'm still sci-fi to me. I think there's probably still many years to go before anything like that would really be uh, able to be used in humans. A lot of questions you would still have to ask, but um, I think it would be uh, you know very powerful sort of next step, next generation for thinking about cell replacement in diseases like Parkinson's disease. Fascinating. Okay, last question. This is a question that we got from the community. It's one we get a lot. What is the timeline? What is the realistic prediction of the time frame? for a regulatory approved stem cell therapy? I'll let her need uh, answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> At least another five years, I would say, um, because the, the surgical trials have to get off the ground. Uh, they have to complete enrollment um, without any safety concerns. All the data has to be analyzed um, at least after a year or two of uh, recruitment. Um, and then the next steps have to be decided from theirs, but, uh, I would say at least five years, if not more. And you said recruitment, one way that 
people listening can advance those timelines is to volunteer for research, both directly for trials or for studies that help us learn more about disease and the ways that we can intervene to stop it or slow it. And so again, I'll give a plug for our foxtrialfinder.org tool that helps connect with research opportunities and helps match you with ones that you may be most eligible for. Volunteers is a uh, a resource that money cannot buy, and it's something that all trials desperately need. So um, again, five years seems a long way off. You can play a role in shortening timelines to new treatments by participating in studies. Um, but I also just want to share the enthusiasm. Five years for people who are living with Parkinson's and who are waiting for these treatments is a very long time. But in research, that will encompass so much work and so many advancements toward um, a therapy. And so one trial has already reported phase one and is gearing up for phase two. There's more coming behind it. There are a lot of different approaches to achieve this replacement of dopamine and this restoration of movement function. And as we discussed, lots of research into the many other things that go wrong with Parkinson's. So lots of exciting developments and to keep track of this research and to learn more about all the different aspects of disease that we've discussed today, you can go to our website, michaeljfox.org. Thank you, Dr. Sarva, Dr. Fisk. Any parting words? I think I'm excited. You know, I've been with the foundation for many years. And when I started you know, the idea of stem cells was still new, but exciting. Uh, just that we there was so much we didn't know about the biology around the stem cells. We still had to figure out how to make the dopamine neurons from from the stem cells. And that was some of the early work that we were supporting, um, you know. And then it, things sort of took a while to figure out the logistics of how do you actually then make these safe enough to put in people. And that took a long time. So now that, that we're seeing these ideas really move into early human testing. It's kind of exciting for, you know, to me and, and, and the rest of the community, just because finally we have a real chance to really see if these are going to hold, uh, hold real meaningful benefit. And, uh, you know, some of the early signals are suggesting that it's feasible and safe and that's great. And we'll obviously look eagerly towards uh, the first signals of, of efficacy. Um, but, you know, I think it's exciting times. It just, you know, we we say this a lot about the current, Parkinson's pipeline being really robust and exciting and a lot of hope in there. And I think this is, you know, one of the components of that hope or treatments like this. Absolutely. I think just from a practical, you know, clinician standpoint, it's, it's really nice to be able to offer patients alternatives to standard of care. Um, and, and it's providing a lot of hope and, and for, for many, many patients. A smorgasbord of options, you'd say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you both. And thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and family or rate and review us on iTunes and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time. Did you enjoy this podcast? Share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. <laughs>